Hi there. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the NFCast Bioinformatics Podcast, where we discuss the latest advancements at the intersection of biology and informatics. In this podcast, we celebrate the brilliant people and organizations that are changing the world through advancements in genomics and life sciences. Our guest today is Evan Floden. Hey, Evan. Hey, thanks, Rob. Evan is the uh, co-founder and CEO of Secure Labs, uh, an open source project Nextflow as well. He holds a doctorate in biomedicine from the University of Pampa Fabra for the large-scale deployment of analyses and the author of 14 peer-reviewed articles. During his doctoral studies at the Center for Genomic Regulation, he began working on Nextflow and he co-founded Secure Labs, uh, the leading provider of scientific workflow and orchestration software. Welcome, Evan. Thanks a lot, Rob. Great to be here. Uh, pleasure to have you. We've uh, talked to a lot of your, your friends and colleagues recently, uh, most, uh, most recently Cedric de Notre Dame uh, from uh, CRG. And uh, we talked a lot about the history of Nextflow and what was going on at CRG in the early days with you and Paulo. So tell me what got you so excited about the Nextflow project. Yeah, so I, I was very early in my PhD, I uh, joined around 2014, and we were looking in multiple sequence alignments. This is the kind of the main thing of Citrix Lab. This has kind of become a bit more popular now with uh, I think some of the kind of work that's been going on with machine learning and, and kind of using a lot of deep neural networks for, for kind of using those to predict structures. But at the time, we were looking at how we could do iterations of those and, and really doing tens of thousands and submitting to a cluster. This is kind of one of the early projects that was Nextflow was applied for. And I was really just interested in how we could how we could use Nextflow kind of early on. I saw massive potential in what I was doing. You know, it was really playing with the, the prototype versions of it. Um, and it was just so powerful to me to be able to submit tens of thousands of, um, of jobs to the cluster, have Nextflow really take care of all the orchestration sort of layer um, uh, for it and also the kind of the, the containerization um, and, that, and it just, just kind of really worked um, for, for solving my problem, I guess, myself. And then sort of really began working with Paolo a lot more and, and, and kind of clicked and started to see some kind of contributions towards that. And, and, and then kind of decided that I wanted to do this full time. And it was it really kind of took over um, my focus of my PhD, uh, you know, over the years and just been really grateful to be able to, you know, to play a part um, in, in the project as well um, and, and really kind of, you know, create Sakara and, and kind of go on from there. I guess my, my goal was ideally to be able to spend more time writing Nextflow. I really enjoyed it. And, and it turns out that being the, the, the CEO of a company doesn't necessarily allow you to spend a lot of time writing pipelines. Um, so my, I guess my other goal there is really to spread the word of Nextflow as, as wide as possible. Um, and so that you know, a lot of other people can, can sort of see the, the benefit of it and so it can benefit their work as well. I've seen your calendar. I can see why you're not... Uh... Not able to spend time writing pipelines these days. It's a busy, it's a busy day being the uh, founder of a startup. Expand a little bit on the forming of Sakara. What was it like stepping straight out of, you know, academia, PhD to create a company and a startup? You could have gone the uh, all kinds of different routes in in that academic direction. You could have gone maybe the way of Breaking Bad and Heisenberg and done something else biologically. But no, you you started a startup. So tell us tell us more about that. Yeah, I guess it's not was not a very easy process um, to go through. I mean, breaking away from an academic institute and to a certain extent, um, and and following it and through. I guess at the time I was uh, I was really kind of getting towards the end of my PhD. I, I really wanted to keep working on Nextflow, um, and and there was I guess a, there was a period of time there where we uh, sort of had a transition from from CRG to creating Sakara, and then that ended up being really beneficial in terms of um, just just getting some frameworks set. We we really kind of trans transitioned from everything from like. You know, taking donations ideally to you know to offering as services to uh, to you know, building basic code out um, and and then kind of before we really got settled on on the idea of building things like tower out and sort of expanding Nextflow um, beyond that so 
previously, I guess I've worked at a, I guess I worked at a startup um, sort of after my undergrad. So I kind of had this sort of feeling of what it was involved to a certain extent. Um, it was, you know, so I was as ready as, as you could be. And I knew that I wanted to pursue that. I knew that I was sort of quite passionate about making an impact via, um, via this way. I think that like um, in that transition and then kind of moving to a startup, it's something that I definitely recommend to a lot of um, people to, to try out at least. I mean, it's a fantastic time to be doing that now. Um, I found, you know, most importantly, kind of like relationships became really significant to, um, to be able to do that. I think science is very collaborative, but it didn't really prepare me for the importance of, of those relationships with customers or employees or mentors or investors and the like. So that was uh, sort of um, something which really kind of has grown on me and something I've really enjoyed about that transition and, and forming Secure. The other thing is really about kind of personal growth. So growing as a person um, as part of that journey has been really amazing. So you're really put under um, a lot of demands, but it also that kind of forces you to grow in many different directions. And I guess like the, the other kind of thing about the formation of Secure is just the, just the science that I get to to be part of and, and for watching what our customers and users do, how Nextflow is applied. Um, it's really amazing. So it's a real kind of privilege to see um, that evolve and, and to kind of see those and sort of be part of those stories as well. Expand a bit on the problems you're trying to solve at Sakara. What, what, uh, what's different about what Sakara is doing with Nextflow Tower versus what you're doing with Nextflow and the community? Yeah, so I think there's a, there's a kind of a bit of a wave which is taking place at the moment. Um, and it sort of, sort of stretches a beyond a little bit with always considered biotech or you know the application of, of biology to something a bit more general. Um, this is often being called at the moment like tech-enabled biology. And we see our customers really engaged in that. And it's kind of outside the specific use cases of, of applications of um, for drug discovery or, or development of new small molecules, et cetera. So we're starting to see the sequencing technologies and imaging technologies um, and kind of just high throughput uh, biology just generally applied to, to wider things, including things like material science, where people are using uh, sort of screening of, of biological compounds um, to develop all sorts of materials. It's going to affect things like um, the development of you know, things like iPhone screens, but potentially you know, a lot of impact in things like oil uh, and, and replacements and, and, and resources as well. We see a lot of work going on in agriculture and crop development, so the ability to then uh, not having to run large expensive trials um, of crops and be able to kind of use uh, sequencing technologies to get around that. And of course, there's this whole area of, of you know, personalized medicine. Um, particularly for us, we see a lot of it in oncology. So there's at least say, a dozen or so customers who are focused on this personalized oncology um, and various treatments around that. So all of these are, I guess, applications of Nextflow that are that are kind of growing wider. And we see with with Tower and the kind of what we support with our customers is is really them taking those projects to the to the next level as well. Yeah, the the adoption in the community is is uh, mind boggling at this stage. The the depth and breadth of Nextflow usage, the number of companies that we're seeing using it, the research institutions using it. Uh, the contribution from NFCore is obviously phenomenal and has really created a, more of a groundswell. But what's the next stage of the problem that you're trying to solve? And sort of where is Secure heading with all this? How's this all going to come together? Yeah, it's a very good point. So I think early on, we focused primarily with Nextflow on the orchestration. And that's what brought me to the project. I was very sort of interested in how it was going to solve that problem for me. And I think it's, it is, you know, Nextflow is a great tool for solving that problem for the bioinformatician um, or, or really, or you know, the data scientist of really running the applications themselves. But often they are working alone. Um, maybe they are working in a team or they're working uh, or running pipelines for someone else. 
so we wanted to really expand it and, and be able for those kind of people to kind of solve the problem, not just for them, but for their whole team. And it kind of goes a little bit wider than just the execution of the pipeline. It involves things like the management of the data beforehand, or the setup of the infrastructure, the sharing of the results um, of those pipelines, but also running those things at scale um, in controlled environments. And, and that's the kind of thing where we really sort of put our heads together a lot to think about how, how we can develop a solution around that. And that's really what we've been doing with Nextflow Towers, a really a solution to, uh, you know, for that problem itself. So Nextflow Towers kind of built in this uh, sort of Nextflow-esque way in the sense that you can uh, you can download it, you can run it on your laptop if you want, but it also where Tower runs is completely separate from the compute. In the same way you can launch an Nextflow uh, pipeline from your laptop into the cloud, you can install Nextflow Tower on a location and, and submit those workloads uh, in all different places. So this is the kind of way where you move the data to the compute. And it really allows this kind of federation across multiple different uh, clouds and regions and environments. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, I guess you have to meet the customers where they are from a technology perspective and they're, they're computing in all kinds of different places and typically in hybrid environments right now. So that all makes a lot of sense. Uh, a lot of sense. This is, it's all really exciting, but uh, you know, let, let's, let's take some risk here. Paul's a live demo enthusiast. Are you up for, uh, are you up for a live demo of Nexo Tower? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Paolo taught me a lot about the live demo uh, early on. And so hopefully I can, <laughs> can show well, let's, off Let's see bit. it in action. Absolutely. Let's run through. So I'm just going to show a quick demo here of, of kind of tower and what it looks like itself here. So when at first you have the ability to kind of log in here. So here I'm just logging in uh, with my GitHub credentials. And when we first built this, we thought about the kind of perspective of that bioinformatician. And what we wanted was the ability to monitor our pipelines, to have a central location that tracked all of that data. So the first thing we can see is you can see kind of history of the executions that are running, but you can also follow them live. Here you can see a, a viral recon pipeline, which has been kicked off. And you can see under the hood, it's really running Nextflow. You can see things uh, like the execution log, which you can follow along live here, if you're familiar with Nextflow. And you can also see things like the, the general statistics here, the status of those tasks. You can kind of dive into individual processes or aggregate statistics, memory, CPU, et cetera, as well as costs to the database on the back end for, for doing all of that. You can also jump into the individual tasks very often, if there's an error, it can be very difficult to find exactly what that error has gone. So here you can have a situation where you could, for example, show me all of the sample threes um, with a particular output and then select uh, the, the pipeline, or essentially the task which ran that here. Here's the individual task information. And I can even jump in and see the execution log, execution time, execution resources. So this, this task itself ran in this container, asked for two CPUs, six gigs of memory. And then you can kind of compare that information with what it actually used. So this is the kind of requested versus, versus used, and that allows you to start optimizing those, those workflows um, a little bit more. You can also kind of see the whole end-to-end -end process here. So for, for pipelines to run, I can go dive in and search for a particular user. Maybe I want to see a particular pipeline associated with some samples, and then find the reports associated with that. So maybe the multi-QC report, for example, or I want to dive in and see something like a PCA of those two things. So it kind of gives you the centralized um, location for, for really being able to track all of that information um, and make it kind of available. And that's kind of something that um, that we wanted to be able to have ourselves for, for Nextflow as well. We also wanted the ability to, to resume these pipelines. So often there's an error and you want to be able to say, start from the beginning. This uses Nextflow's relaunch capabilities. And here you can see I'm relaunching the pipeline. Essentially, I could change something here. When I click this launch button now, it's going to resume from there. So this relaunching and resume functionality is really essential when running at scale as well. 
Yeah, but the data is always kind of a third rail when it comes to bioinformatics, particularly with respect to cloud computing. So how would a typical bioinformatician enter their own data when launching a pipeline here? Yeah, so data set management is a really kind of key part of this and something which is really difficult for a lot of users to sort of manage that data. So we've introduced this data set functionality uh, recently, which really allows you to upload structured data, typically things like sample sheets into this, and allows a bioinformatician to upload their data, select the pipeline they wish to launch and then run. So we can run through that quickly here. I'm gonna create a new data set. Just gonna give it a, a demo name for us for purposes of this uh, demo. And then I'm gonna do is I'm gonna select the data that I wish to enter in there. I'm gonna drag and drop a, a CSV file, but this could be any TSV file. You could upload this via API or CLI if you wanted to fully automate this. Once I've made this data set uh, available, then I can then select it to go kind of run it as a pipeline. So Typical use case would be upload my data from the sequencer, go to my pipeline that I wish to launch, select this pipeline. In this case, it's a, an RNA-seq pipeline. This is the data that was, that was generated from that. And it's gonna show me um, exactly which data is available for, for doing that. So we're gonna select the NFCast data that we just inputted here. So NFCast, it's gonna show me that data set. I might change a couple of options here. Maybe I wish to um, do something like, um, split the, uh, sorry, skip the BB split here launch that pipeline, and then it kind of takes us back to the, to the screen to be able to monitor that and to be, able to be able to view that as well. Yeah, so this is the kind of, um, so you see that we're able to launch that pipeline with our own data set, um, so in our own environment as well. You've got uh, preloaded pipelines here, I see, but our audience might build their own pipelines. They might want to import some from NF Core. Can you show us how to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so far I've just launched pipelines which are which exist here. So if we go back to the, the launch screen here, this is like pipelines which already exist. You can add your own pipelines in here. So we can select uh, to create a new pipeline. I'm just gonna import something from NF Core. It's obviously a great resource for these pipelines, but this could be something you have yourself hosted, uh, self-hosted, it could be public or private. Let's go in here and select the same pipeline um, we did before. So we're gonna select the RNA-seq pipeline here. I'm just going to copy the Git repository. Um, this could be from any of the Git providers that you could choose from. Enter that into here, and I'm just going to give it a um, give it a name. And what we'll see here is that once we select this uh, this pipeline, I'm just going to give it a name for NFCast. We can now select any of the different versions um, or branches that exist for that pipeline. So it's gone, gone back, looked up GitHub, shown us the revision numbers here. Let's run the latest version, so 3.5. We're going to select really some information we want for a profile. This is next flow profiles. And then we can sort of create that pipeline. So in that step, so I've really selected a computer environment, selected a pipeline and a version, and I've really made that available then for anyone in this computer environment um, to be able to go to use. Nice. I noticed when you're creating the pipelines, you're using AWS Batch for this specific environment. How does user work if they have their own computer environments, let's say a local HPC cluster, or they want to use a different cloud provider? Yeah, it's a good point. And going back to the, the start before around how Explore Tower is kind of separate from where the compute is, we have this concept of compute environments, which really sort of separates those two things. And that's what allows you to run this same pipeline in, in many different environments. So if we go over to here to, to the computer environments here, you can see that this is the one we were launching before. This is a, an AWS batch environment. But I'm going to skip through over to a different workspace now and show you some other environments that I've got set up and, and kind of what that process looks like. So in my other workspace here, you can see I've got environments for AWS Batch and EUS1, a Slurm environment, Google Life Sciences, Azure Batch. And inside of this, you've got all the ability to create different uh, environments themselves. These can be created in all different regions and all different zones. 
and really kind of setting them up um, is, is the kind of the key to be able to enable these pipelines, say, to run in different places as well. All of this is obviously managed via credential management. So you can set up your credentials for all of the major cloud providers, as well as the location of your source code management. So think GitHub, Bucket, GitLab, et cetera. Also support for private container registries, um, SSH, and also a tower agent, which allows you to connect into things like your uh, Slurm cluster that you may um, that you may have set up, set up as well. It also has the ability inside of this uh, to think about how you can manage those uh, participants. So in this space, for example, I can look at the participants and I can see here, I'm an, I'm an owner here. That could be an admin or a maintainer, a launcher. And those different roles really decide on what you're able to do inside of this kind of workspace context. And it provides sort of different roles really around people who are launching these pipelines, maybe people who are maintaining them. So, so typically bioinformaticians who are updating them, and making new versions. And then around administrators who are setting up the computer environments, credentials and the like, and making all of that uh, available for people uh, as well. So it, this is kind of a, provides a little bit of fine-grained control for those admins, but it also provides the kind of way to completely manage their research and, and production environment for, for the whole company. Got it. That makes a lot, a lot of sense. So with a lot of customers I speak to, though, the bioinformatics process and the pipeline is only part of a wider workflow. You might have files coming in from the wet lab where they just want to you know, run it through the bioinformatics process, or maybe samples are prepared and sent to a third party for sequencing, and only the read data is going to be made available for analysis. So how does Tower integrate in those scenarios where it's acting as sort of a part of a process, but you really want it to be more behind the scenes and automated? Yeah, integrating, I guess, is one of these core things that we wanted to build around Tower and, and make it an open way to integrate with many different services. Um, and to do that, we have a couple of different options. So the first thing we built was, um, was around actions, and these are ways to automate the execution of a pipeline. So here you can see a couple of actions I've got set up in the community workspace. One of them is a, a git commit. So essentially, if I submit or, or, or do a git uh, a, a commit against this GitHub repository, it will launch the execution of this pipeline um, given some settings that I have there. So that allows for things like uh, continuous integration testing. Every time I make a change to that uh, particular branch, I'm going to get that triggered off. For more general use cases, you can think about um, creating a webhook. And this is a way of setting up a pipeline that is going to be triggered from entering this endpoint. So if I hit this endpoint with given parameters, I'm able to then execute um, that as well. So that's an easy way to integrate the execution of the pipelines into your um, existing services that you may be running um, in sort of different parts of the pipeline. A good example of this is maybe triggering an execution of a pipeline based on some uh, data coming off S3. And we just have a, a very interesting blog post um, sort of outlines exactly how to do that using things like Lambda functions um, as well. If you want to go deeper though, and you really want to can, can sort of control all aspects of, of Tower, well, the whole thing is available via an open API. Um, that can be seen here. This is essentially an API which is published as part of the open API 3.0 standard. And this allows us to do, control anything from the application. So actions, compute environments, credentials, et cetera. We have a lot of customers who are just building on top of Tower, building their own front end um, for, for doing so. And then the, I guess the final way to think about those automations, you can link in um, the, the Nextflow Tower CLI, and this is targeted more for people who are comfortable with launching Nextflow pipelines from the command line. So typically they were using things like Nextflow Run. You can now switch that over to use Tower Launch, point it to your repo, um, and then kind of uh, and then kind of trigger off. I should point out that all of this is kind of available on, on Tower Cloud. So for anyone who looks at this and thinks this could be interesting, they're able to kind of head over to, to Tower Cloud. 
um, give it a go, log in, and then you should be able to start submitting those uh, workflows as well. Yeah, I saw well over 3,000 users on Tower Cloud now, so that, that's impressive, and all the functionalities suggest is available uh, there that you just demonstrated. So, so tell us, what's on the roadmap for Sakara, both as a company and from a product perspective? Yeah, I guess as a company, we've been growing pretty rapidly um, over the last couple of years in particular. So we've had about 50 customers now who have commercial enterprise deployments of, of Tower. Um, and as I mentioned before, there's about 3,000 people who are, who are using Tower Cloud. We kind of see like, a, you know, the main focus is really driving the product roadmap for those customers. And, and obviously, as new customers come on board, there's a couple of main areas that we, we, we see that um, playing out. One is around application analytics. So understanding and being able to derive more information from Tower. Uh, as an example, on Tower Cloud, we have hundreds of thousands of completed workloads in the back end. We want users to be able to search those, be able to say, this workload with this patient sample for this time, show me the exact command. Uh, and kind of dr dr drill into a little bit more information like that, as well as providing the dashboarding functionality to be able to visualize that information. The other one is really around data automation and reporting. So I've shown you there the ability to, to automate things um, from an from a execution perspective, but also including the ability to add in data sources. Um, you can imagine situations where you want to have wider data sources that you want Tower to be able to have some visibility on, and then automate the system around that. So being able to have more of an event-based um, system. Part of that is, is to do with it just actually access to um, the data. So things like secret management becomes really important, as well as notifications um, and the like. And the third main part that we're working on is, is really around cost and resource optimization. And whether this is around cost tagging so that those uh, tags and costs can be propagated through to the cloud provider or things like the heuristics that we're looking into to be able to optimize those workloads um, before um, before running. We also have like as a company, I guess we've, you know, we've raised about $5 million so far, we're around 25 people and, and growing very rapidly. And I think something's very interesting is like, you know, unlike many startups, we've kind of been profitable um, every year that we've run the business. So um, we're really excited to see where we can take this. Um, we're really excited about the growing uh, Nextflow community who's really uh, adopting a lot of this technology and also about the people and the science that we're doing. As I said before, this is kind of the key driver um, for, for us and it's just really to see what people can build with this. And it's really amazing um, with, with what, to see what's happening. So three focus areas for, for the year ahead, application analytics, data automations and reporting and cost and resource optimization. Sounds like you're gonna be keeping Paulo and the team pretty, pretty busy over the next little while. Absolutely. <laughs> Not a bad thing. So let's jump into the uh, wrap-up section. I'm going to hit you with some rapid-fire questions. I'll ask you a quick question. You give me your, your immediate thoughts in 60 seconds or less, and no pressure. That's so what will be dramatically different uh, about the way bioinformatics will be performed in the next five to 10 years? This one is maybe not so, um, not so controversial, a little bit like Cedric as well. I, I think it's going to be one is like a shift to, to data in the cloud. We're already starting to see this with many cloud providers really posturing to make sure that they have you know, the largest amount of resources and, and, and data which is available in their cloud, their location. Um, this means that uh, people will be essentially forced to move their compute to the cloud eventually. Um, and that's not a bad thing. This is something which will, um, which will take place. We also think that this could just be like a, like a switch essentially. Um, the infrastructure and tools like Nextflow is really helping to enable this. Um, and as this, kind of, uh, as this kind of expands out, it should hopefully um, provide uh, pr provide a kind of easier e mechanism for people to handle things like sensitive data and, and, and share that data um, in, in ways which makes a lot more sense than it does now currently in a lot of silos, for example. So this one's more controversial than talking politics in a podcast, but what is your favorite IDE or text editor? 
So in terms of, I, I learned Vim straight away, so, so early on, um, and I, that's kind of my go-to in the, in the terminal. Um, but nowadays when I get a choice and given the kind of really awesome extensions that keeps getting built for it, uh, Visual Code Studio is, uh, is, is definitely my, my, uh, my go-to now. Still a VI guy from way back when. So when you're not building a startup, what do you like to do in your spare time? What are your favorite activities to unwind? Definitely into a lot of uh, a lot of cycling. Um, less so now than I than I used to be able to do, but uh, it's fantastic cycling around Catalonia, um, and and the area keeps me keeps me pretty busy. But also, I guess uh, gets kind of kept fifty fifty with uh, eating the various um, local local delicacies as around as well. So those two kind of go hand in hand um, for for definitely a good lifestyle in Catalonia. I'm always envious of your Barcelona home. Well, Evan, I really appreciate you taking the time. Enjoyed uh, enjoyed chatting with you, and thanks for being here. Awesome. Appreciate it, Rob. Looking forward to the, the next episodes coming up as well. Awesome. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, everyone.